0: will you do without freedom? Will you fight? Welcome to Leverage Addicts, the podcast for investors looking to maximize returns through leverage. Join host, seasoned mortgage professional and real estate enthusiast, Blandon Lerm, as we explore property investing strategies and learn how to navigate the market to build new wealth. Welcome back
1: to another episode of Leverage Addict Podcast, where we explore inspiring stories of individuals who are taking the initiative to build wealth through property investing. In today's episode, we have a special guest and a client, JP, single young professional who has successfully completed over 20 property flips while maintaining his full-time job. We'll be diving into JP's experience, his strategies, and some of the valuable lessons he's learned along the way. If you're looking to gain insights into the world of property flipping and learn how to overcome some of the challenges, this episode is for you. Welcome, JP. Hello,
0: Brandon. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here.
1: Now, it's good to have you on board. So before we get started, our guest always shares how much leverage they're starting with and using at the moment. So JP, tell us, how (laughs) much mortgage are you working with at the moment?
0: Yep. So I recently looked into this. So just the top of my head, it's about 1.8 mil. 1.8 million as a
1: single young professional. What are you doing with all that debt?
0: Debt that... Has been accumulated over the years you've been buying lamborghinis and (laughs) thankfully they're just assets not liabilities so yes they are lamborghini is an asset (laughs) it's all about
1: (laughs) soon soon now there's (laughs) definitely a lot for us to learn today obviously someone like yourself who's juggling the full-time, the property investing and the property flipping. Now you're sort of starting your own business
0: as well. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about that. For those who are on the video, I've just done a partnership with a company in Wellington, starting a fire protection business called Alliance Fire Protection, one of the shareholders there, the Auckland business. So just gone into that this year, just to add to the flavor of everything else going on in life. Definitely full-on, been a full-on year. That's good. um, It's Going good. Now you got the business aspect of it as well. Correct. Yeah. So
1: tell us a little bit more about yourself. Can you maybe share a little bit about your journey and experience in properties? How did you get started
0: and what motivated you sort of to go down this path? Yeah, it's been one heck of a journey. I've always had an interest for investment and also for business. My dad had a business in fire protection. That's how I got into it. been working with him on the tools since I was young. My mom's always been a passionate investor in property. They helped me get into the space as well and go into it in a bit more detail later. But yeah, since I was young, I've always liked the investment space, property space. So as soon as I graduated from university, that's all I did was just learn, learn, learn. What could I do? Property wasn't in the picture at that time because it just seemed impossible to get into that space. But I would be attending seminars, going to yeah property events etc and that's where i came across gra and their property school and then i met blandon there surprisingly (laughs) um, who was also doing that course at the time and i also signed up for their mentorship program which was a coaching program yeah um, which got me into the
1: flipping so how i know jp if you guys didn't know I know this guy from university. I was a couple of years up, know his brother, Sam, and just saw this guy around. Like, this guy's always, like, energetic, real positive. And then a few years later, when I went to the GRA course, I I saw him. I'm like, oh, this guy's really motivated (laughs) in properties. (laughs) (laughs) And then we became friends and sort of, like, yeah, started a working relationship. Yes,
0: correct. Yeah, that's right. Yep. So, yeah, that GRA at the time was pulling through a few things, and the market was slightly different that time. But yeah, it was good. I think me and Blandon were kind of in our early stages in both of our journeys. So so tell us about that first property that you did. So the first property was in Newland. So this was a property that my um, parents had invested in. And essentially, as I was learning, equity was my big, all cash was my big setback. So at that time, my prop parents were grateful for my parents who gave me the opportunity to use the equity in that property to start my flipping journey, which is where I got into property flipping in trades because there wasn't enough in that property to actually buy a house with a deposit. I had to still utilize that cash and equity and maximize it, which yep. where I got into flipping, that's when I got into flipping. So
1: essentially what they did was like, they did a pop-up on a revolving credit facility. and like, mom and dad I'll give you guys a return really into this property thing and so you went to do joint ventures because that's quite interesting right like because you were starting out and you connected with a couple of the guys in GRA
0: it was all just kind of a domino effect from there so when I joined up to the coaching program I still hadn't sorted out what I was going to do I just used all my life savings as a young graduate who just came out of university and put it into this just really taking the risk and saying look I need to learn this and I went yeah my parents at that time again and and said look I've learned all the stuff from this property course and coaching really want to implement it but it seems I'm on a setback but at that time they they trusted me for that and I'm super grateful for that and yeah it's I started doing JVs from there and meeting a lot of people they could really see the drive in me where I was just yeah fine looking at properties all day every day and finding deals left right and center so at that time it was really who could I find to partner with in terms of funding property flip for me because that was where I was short so that's where my JV journey started where I would do the renovation, pay for all that cost of side of the flip, and then I would, my JV partner would just fund it and settle it, and we would split 50-50 at the end.
1: Yeah. So it's quite interesting because what you guys did was like, well, you had the revolving credit to do the renovation, and then your business partner at the time, they could come up with the deposit. So they there was two other groups, and then they come up with the deposit, and then you borrowed the rest from the second tier lender. And then you, then you flip the deals and how many did you do and what, in the time span of like how long?
0: Yeah. So when I started, it was, there was a massive exponential learning curve there. And it wasn't until I got a year that I actually found my first deal. And from there, it just, again, dominated effect, and I was, we were picking up deals every couple of weeks, which was, which was awesome. And we were busy. Um, I had a few other business partners or JV partners at the time who I was doing deals with. And we just really pulled all our money to maximize our cash on how could we do as many flips as possible with the yeah. cash we had between ourselves. And then we started, yeah, we, at one time we had probably three or four flips going amongst our, our yeah. team.
1: There was some, somewhere around, I think, five years ago now. It's quite impressive because I watch you from the beginning getting into that first, like having enough money and KiwiSaver to buy that unit off your parents. And then you had The revolving credit to keep going, so you didn't actually go buy whole straight away. You bought the first unit off the parents. You then used that money to keep recycling, and then you started building a bigger deposit. Then you bought another property. So I, I just, I just watched you grow, and I, I remember, I reflected. I was like, far out. Like this guy went from this spot to now, like more than a million in equity, and then I just, I was quite amazed. There was a couple of really good flips that you did as well, like in the. That Birkenhead one. Yes. That was yep. one of my favorite deals. Like, yes. Yep. There's something like 300 because.
0: Yeah. Yep. So, <laughs> yeah. So the momentum built, and then, you know, it's just deal opportunities start popping up and you know there's, there was a, definitely a lot of hard work that went into it the kind of the tip of the iceberg that you see which is that 300,000 but below that iceberg there was there was a lot of blood sweat and tears that went into it and you know I can confidently say now that if I'm looking at properties I can kind of spot a deal even though the market changes and that was really the skill set that I had built through that um, mentorship program. yeah you
1: kind of had the upswing as well I think with that particular North Shore deal right. because the, the market just shot up really quickly yes And I think, yeah, overall, that is really good way for some young professionals to get into properties and for parents who are listening. You know, you can see that, well, investing in a property education might be better than that business degree.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I mean, yeah. This this is real life business. Yeah, this is real life experience and being a practical person myself. I work in construction. The hands on was just invaluable in terms of what I learned from that.
1: So now that you're sort of more experienced, you've tried everything and properties, what specific strategies or techniques have you found working well for
0: you? Yeah, like I said, there was the property flipping or trading. There's two aspects to that. So there's either you can renovate it and sell it as a final product or you could just sell it and send it to another trader as well and they, they will actually renovate it so there's heaps of aspects to property trading really got to know your numbers on that it is quite a bit of a risk in that space but there's also buying and holding which is another strategy that yeah obviously a lot of investors know which unfortunately at the time I was so into flips that I didn't actually think about stopping and just looking at the strategy I was doing but eventually I did relook at my portfolio and say hey look I've got to hold something but I could have done that much earlier so so there's no secret formula. There's just a few strategies out there and you've just got to have that right team around you because it was really the team here at MHQ that were looking at my portfolio because they relook look at my position all the time and say, hey, why, why don't you stop and re-look at your thing and see if you can buy something to hold instead? It was That's where the coin dropped and said, okay, let's do yeah, that. Yeah,
1: that's so important. Such an important lesson because you can get in the motion of just like, okay, buy, sell, buy, sell, buy, sell. And then- you're making really good coin on that side, suddenly you forget about the Actually, the, the most important yes. thing is, is yep. just to get that long-term
0: yes. equity growth. That's right. Yeah. And a few of the deals we sold, I, I look back and I'm like, oh man, we bought that for six hundred thousand. Like, you know, this is in Auckland. and West Auckland, these are good solid income homes. So looking back, it's you know, hindsight is always better than foresight, but looking back, it should have held at least one of those deals rather than just flipping all 20.
1: No, that's that's really good sharing. And so what prompts you to to go JV like obviously joint venture is interesting aspect right with property investing because normally people are like no I just want to go by myself right what challenges were you facing at the time and why did you choose to go joint venture
0: yeah so when when I started property I was still I was the youngest of the crew so you know the course I went into I was the youngest guy I was probably 24 25 at the time Um, I was surrounded by a wealth of knowledge and that was my biggest advantage as well where I just said look if I can surround my myself with these guys because a few of those traders in that group were very experienced and um, I'm actually very blessed to have uh, being able to work with them because the knowledge I learned from them was excellent. So JVs are a great way not only just to you know, take, it's not about what I, what can I get from this? It's also what can you give? But if you surround yourself with the right people in your JV, with your JV partners, it's it's excellent because you can learn so much from them. They can learn so much from you. It's all about a win-win situation because essentially this is a business. So yeah, it's got to be a win-win for everyone. But JVs are definitely, the reason why I chose it why, why I chose to get into JVs was really to give me an acceleration. If you do it by yourself, you could probably do it. But if you do it with 10, 15 people, you've effectively got 15 people working with you yeah. to try and achieve the same goal. Oh,
1: would you do a JV with 10, 15 people, though? <laughs>
0: <laughs> probably. It's probably a bit hard. But um, yeah, at one time we were, our JVs were about four or five of us. Yep. So and those that worked out quite well.
1: So property trading, yes, there is an upside and, you know, it's very cool when you see like a six-figure profit, right? After you pay your GST, after you pay your tax and everything, but also it can be very risky. So, what are some of the biggest obstacle or challenges or big lessons that were costly that you learned during this journey? How do you handle it? Maybe you can share with us what well, some key lessons here. Yeah.
0: So, <laughs> so yeah, so you know, every investment and whenever you go and get into any investment or business, there's always a risk factor to it, and you can either do nothing. Or you can analyze it and really determine what the risk is but at the end you have to take action up to a certain point i had made money which was excellent i was on a high felt like i was on top of the world nothing could stop me and you know eventually we i got into a development flip it was a contemporaneous settlement which means we don't ever own the property but we clipped the ticket along the way and unfortunately the market turned and the developer was unable to settle so In that case, what happens is we have to settle. And the biggest lesson there was, unfortunately, I had put that property in my personal name. So I was now in the position... That I could get sued personally. And obviously having a portfolio in my the back of my name put me at risk. He- heaps of lessons out of that deal, but it was a big eye-opener for that one. Fortunately, that is what happens. And you've just got to pick yourself up. And
1: So what would you do differently next time?
0: Yeah, so for next time, I would definitely put the property in a company to limit liability, which is why they're called limited liability companies. I'm not... In the sense to do that because you want to screw someone over but you really just want to protect yourself your own assets so every time i put a prop offer on a property now it's definitely going into my trading company not into my own personal capacity
1: so how did you get away from it like why didn't they sue you for,
0: for your million bucks? So, <laughs> so so we don't actually know how much they could have sued or whether or not they would sue. But um, yeah, were, I had some pretty good business partners in that deal, <laughs> who or JV partners, and they let me off the hook. And we eventually came to a settlement with the developer to fund some cash not settling and also came up with an agreement with the owner of the property on the other end just
1: so you guys know whoever's listening that deal i did that with jp (laughs) and we actually shared that lesson in the first episode of the spotify so me and andrew sat down and we talked about some of the key learnings that was one of the deals because the market shifted so quickly there was so much lessons we made like really good money when it was on the upswing and then suddenly it's like musical chairs, right? Just like on a roll and then boom, there's one deal just stop you on your tracks and you just have to rethink about everything. So,
0: yeah, and, and looking back, you know, we did the right things. We we did the numbers, we calculated what our end values would be. So as a from a business perspective or from a analytical perspective, we did yeah. what the right things. But unfortunately there just wasn't enough outs for us where we had locked ourselves in with one way in and one way out. Yeah. And Blandon does talk about that in his course which unfortunately at that side looking back at hindsight, I was very tunnel vision at that time and I Decided. Look, let's take the risk, and we agreed to do that. And unfortunately, we were burnt on the other end. So yeah, yeah, I do take a lot of responsibility. Yeah, on there that,
1: was a, the deal. I mean, you know, we had the deal heat. Like when what was the deal heat? The deal heat is way, basically when you're doing deals and you're like, oh my gosh, we got to do another, we got to do another deal, and we were kind of in that mindset because I did have like reserve about doing that deal because we had to overpay. So. Yeah. Maybe let's just walk through that deal since we are talking about it. Like essentially what we did was we had one site and we flipped that so quickly, right? There was margin for our buyer and there were margin for us. We bought it in such a good price as you could just develop the backyard. You could actually bulldoze it and put like five apartments on it, three-story ones. And so it was a really good deal. We offload it before we even settled, right? So we only had to put little money in. We hit up the neighbor before we sold it, right? We're like, hey, you want to sell your one together? But they said no. They're like, oh, I want to hold on to it. But then after we sold that, that neighbor actually came back and said, "Oh, I'm ready to sell now." This is about like they slapped a ridiculous amount as a sell figure. And I was like, "No, I don't. I don't want to deal with this person. Like this, like person's so greedy." <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah. You know, like JP was like the good cop here and just you know kept managing that relationship. And it was it came down significantly, but it was still overpaying. I would say probably by like I don't know three hundred thousand.
0: Yeah that at that market yes yeah yeah we were
1: paying like quite a ridiculous amount because the way we did that deal what the reason why we paid extra was we looked at the numbers on the full corner site so we have both sites and we sold it there was a significant margin for the developer yes and we make sure that they still had 25 percent so that we can make the difference so like if we're buying it with a 32 percent margin and we sell it at 25 we make the seven percent, not yes. yeah. on the land value but on the overall project value and that's exactly how much we sold it for we got the price that we want but
0: the market turned exactly yes and as Brandon alluded to we did get an unconditional offer so we had essentially sold it but there was a long sediment on there and unfortunately with that sediment came time and by that time the market was slowly shifting yeah. and the bank's appetite to lend It changed, so
1: we even went to back to the guy that we sold it to. Like, hey, like come into the do the JV with us, and we'll give you fifty percent of the profit. They did nothing, right? They did nothing. We locked in that trade, and yeah, the the market turned. But um, ton of lessons there. Like, it's so important to just have a backup strategy. And the biggest lesson I think is just don't stay away from the fundamental. We went away from the fundamental of like just buying property for the value it is worth. Opposed to like, okay, we've got this future value, we'll overpay on this side. And-,
0: and I think we just, we went, we overstretched way more than we should have. Like the fact that the option of should we settle that came up, but yeah. we couldn't because we were just overstretched. Whereas if we had bought something, you know, with 2 million max for both sites, maybe it was something we could have looked into, but we were way overstretched on terms of capital that we had amongst ourselves. Yeah. And because the market was changing, the banks were just, uh, yeah, it was very difficult at that time to get that lending. So yeah. But in
1: saying that, you know, would I do it again? Probably. Maybe do it a bit differently. <laughs> Probably do it a bit differently. Yeah. Just be really, really strict on our
0: numbers. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And yeah, again, if we can buy with more outs, we didn't have an out for that other one no. on that corner site yeah. unless we sell it to a developer. Right. That was our only exit strategy. And that was our, our,
0: um, we were all in essentially. Yeah, we we're all in on one. <laughs> we, were, one we were all in on one one strategy, <laughs> and we pulled it off. What well, we thought we did, we didn't. So, I mean, yeah, like Ben said, there's a bucket load of learnings from that one. I mean, the the biggest one that I can give to you guys listening is really the limit your liability by putting stuff in a company, and definitely speak to your lawyer before signing contracts because you would just want to cover your basis on all ends. You're lucky you had good shareholders. shout out to the shareholders
1: (laughs) otherwise um, maybe they would have just let you fall on the sword by yourself (laughs) no that's good like um, yeah but I I wouldn't trade that experience like it's it's like real life MBA you know Um, and that's definitely stuff we can use to build on right so the other thing that is quite interesting is balancing your full-time job also on top of like all of this thing, you're all of the the activities you're doing in real estate. Yeah. How do you how do you manage that? What well, what are some key tips for somebody that's like, oh, you know, well, first of all, you don't have kids. I think maybe that that is definitely yeah. a huge one. Yeah. But let's just say someone who's a young professional, yeah. how should they have this mindset of being able to manage both?
0: Yeah, I mean, as I mentioned at the start, it's a it's a massive time commitment. You've really got to determine whether or not this is something you want to do or how much you want to get involved, really. If you're young and you've got a full-time job, it really comes down to your time management and what you do outside of your nine to five, really. Um, luckily for me, uh, I work in construction. So um, at that time I was a project manager, so I had sites all over Auckland. Um, and that was a massive advantage because I was able to go to different sites and at the same time try and sneak in checking out a property or calling an agent to saying I'm driving past a property, can I get the files? So there's advantages, but I was just, you've got to be smart about your time. You know, Back then or even now, every hour was precious and I would maximize that every hour I had and from five o'clock till midnight sometimes I would be looking at properties doing numbers I'd be sending it to Blandon and there was times where I would just tell Blandon look Blandon I've got unconditional on this property sort me out my finance and he would just be like oh okay sweet let's do the deal so you know that's how confident I was in my numbers because I just spent so much time in it and Know, I've had many midnight spreadsheets from JP, by the <laughs> way. Just letting you guys know. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's the the my mindset. If, if to put it down to a mindset, it was, ugh, don't quote me off the top of my head, but it's like the ten thousand hour quote. You know, I used to work towards how can I get as fast as possible to ten thousand hours because effectively. That's where you'll become an expert in the space. So I, I didn't get to that level, but effectively yeah. every hour I was spending on property was contributing to that so mindset. Um,
1: it's hard for somebody to have that l- level of motivation and focus. Yep. What is it that is motivating you and driving you to, you know, yep. put in the hours? Yep. You know, on top of your busy schedule yep. on on your job is quite demanding yep. already. What What's driving you
0: there? Yeah, it's interesting you ask that because now that I'm thirty. <laughs> um, my mindset back then was, I don't want to be grinding when too hard when I'm in my 40s or 50s. You know, I'm still young. I had a lot of energy. My energy is already depleting, and I'm still young. I'd say so. I wanted to really maximize that and make sure that a lot of my learning was done when I was still very motivated and had a lot of aspirations. And you know, when you're young, you got dreams. You got to chase it, and that's really what I was doing. And um, you know, it paid off big time. Because if I'd started now rather than back then, uh, my energy levels are lower. I'm much more busy now. I've got this business I've got to focus on. So there's different priorities. And once you have kids to the equation, you've got to manage that. So I think when you're young, you've got time. You're you're still single, especially, or even with your partner, bring them on board. I think, yeah, really maximize that time, whether it's in property, shares or whatever, but get into some sort sort of investment.
1: That's one thing I would have told you like five years ago. Just be like, don't don't get us guys to be your business partner. Just just get a real partner. Your know, like, <laughs> income servicing is the way to go. <laughs> so you don't need us. <laughs> uh, there's there's yeah, still but, a massive gap in some areas, but but um, this guy's in a you know more serious relationship now. So yes, yeah, he's all good. He's all good now. <laughs> well, you know we we talked about the the ups the downs. Um. Obviously, and at the end of it, at the end of the, um, we're not really at the end of it. But like on the other side of the tunnel, you know, you still, you still have ma- made massive um, strides in properties, yeah. right? Um, some of the lessons you can't really trade. You know, you kind of like, okay, well, now you learned that. Well, next 10, 20 years, yeah. it stays with you. Yes. Yep. What is your advice? you know what what would you give to somebody who is wanting to get into this right to invest in flip properties earlier in their career what what is the one takeaway you would give them
0: yeah it's probably quite cliche but as we hear it but it's surround yourself with the right people you know the the idea that people who are ahead of you don't want to help you that's not right if you if you ask me for a coffee and want to sit down, I'm more than happy to talk about property. I oh, love talking about property. are coming now. <laughs> <laughs> Man, people do notice that, you know, like when I sit down and you want to talk property, maybe I could talk for, for, for hours and, you know, about the experiences and just share my knowledge. And it's not just me, it's everyone out there. They, If this is really what they love and what they're passionate about, they'll talk about, um, they'll, they'll want to talk about this, you know, talk about the lessons they've learned um, share ideas, share knowledge,s help you to get into it. So it's really about um, what do you want to invest in, and obviously it's gonna biggest thing you are gonna have to give up is your time. And it's that's really the advice I can give is um, are you willing to put in some time to get ahead? There
1: you have it. It's an insightful conversation with JP. Obviously, you know one of the young guns who's really motivated in properties and done several flips now and. You know, he's got his buy and hold and he's got his business he's going to manage. Now, probably next chapter, he's thinking about the kids and the marriage.
0: So. <laughs> and I also just want to add there, you know, the, this is an awesome time to be in the market. Um, awesome time. Awesome he, time. Because he, he, he when I was know. 2016, when I was starting, was yeah. when the market was kind of, you know, had just come out of um, the last kind of dip. Yeah. Um, whereas when you're in a booming market. There's too much emotions, you're not even learning, you're just riding a wave essentially, whereas now you're actually learning the fundamentals. So now is a really awesome time to prepare yourself and just get into that mindset of how can I learn? Because you don't want to be learning during the boom because everyone else will already be 10 steps ahead. You want to be 10 steps ahead now, so that when the boom comes, so good, you'll, you'll be ahead. And that's really- so
1: good. And that's where I plug in the property formula workshop, right? We've got at the mortgage HQ, we've got our own workshop where you can check out online. It basically has eight modules, gives you a really good understanding of defining your goals as something that's measurable, not just, Hey, you know, I want this and that. But what are some of the strategies that are involved that could help you achieve your goals? And then how you analyze the deals, what are the numbers you need to look for? And then last modules are talking about how you can put it into your busy routine, right? Because... At the end of the day like it's not that you have 40 like another 40 hours to to do to properties you more like have two hours a week maybe and so how can you make sure that two hours is very productive it's just like going to the gym like if you go to the gym you can have somebody that's going to the gym every single day but they're not getting results they still look skinny like me <laughs> or like you know someone just might go three times but they're, they're getting the results and so how do you maximize your time that's what the workshop talks about and also The most important thing is the community because JP actually mentioned it a couple of times. You need to surround yourself with people who are thinking about the same thing, breathing, doing it, and people who are ahead of you. And if they're ahead of you, you know, way ahead of you, that's hard to sit them down. It's like, well, what, what value can we, can we have like exchange, but there will be some value that you can give them, right? Like you're like, Hey, I'm going to like find these deals. Like you can, Come in as a JV and I'll give you back a return. Like, there has to be a win win. And there are people that will be in the community that's slightly ahead, they can give you some contacts and give you some wisdom. And so that is what's really important. And every single week, we have our Saturday workshop where we actually review a property deal that somebody has done. And a lot of cash flow positive deals right now. And people are like, you know, I'm, I can't find it, even this new build that I'm getting is negative three hundred and fifty with tax deductibility and (laughs) but you know it's just a different way to play the game and you gotta, you know, just play the game with people who know how to play the game, right? And so definitely check it out if you're thinking about properties. So I wanna say thank you, JP. Thanks for jumping on. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And if you guys wanna learn more, get more valuable insights and inspiration, stay tuned for more episodes of Leverage Attic Podcasts and we will keep sharing those good stories with you guys. And if you found value, I only ask for one small favor, and that is to share this episode with somebody that you think will also find value. Thank you.